Good morning. It's great to see you. Happy second week of Easter. I'm so glad that you were able to be here with us this morning. Those of you joining us online, thank you for joining us. Let us know that you are worshiping with us online so that we can say hello to you this morning. Um, As you prepare your hearts for worship, I want to share with you from Psalm chapter 34. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Church, let's praise his name together this morning. I'm so grateful to be worshiping with you in person and online. Would you join me as we pray for the Lord to be with us today? Gracious God, we are so grateful for this day that you have made. Lord, I just pray that you would be so present in this place that we would sense you very real and tangible presence in here. Lord, I just pray that you would encourage our hearts this morning. Lift up our hearts as we gather together to praise you and to hear from you. Lord, we thank you for always uh, being available to us whenever we are, are here to call out to you and worship you. Lord, we love you, and we thank you again for this day. We praise your name together this morning. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Let's praise together. Gracious Jesus, we thank you for the freedom that we now live in because of the price you paid on Calvary. Lord, may we just sit and rest in that freedom And embrace that freedom in this moment. May we take a moment to express our gratitude that you would demonstrate your love for us in such a way that you would lay down your life so that we can find free, abundant life in you. That is why we come here to celebrate and to praise you for that. And it is our mission that we embrace to be a people that would go and declare this freedom to the world. Lord, may we not be in this space out of duty or obligation out of routine, because it's what's expected of us. But Lord, may we be truly present in this space to receive more of you, to empty ourselves, receive more of you, and then be prepared to go back out into the world as sent ones. May we receive more of you so that we can go and pour ourselves out for the sake of the other, for the sake of the lost, for the sake of the broken, for the sake of the poor, for the sake of the needy, for the sake of the orphan, for the sake of the marginalized. This is who we are. This is who we've been called to be, and Lord, 
We confess that we need your strength. We need your strength to continue to pursue this calling. We need to be reminded to die to self daily. And Lord, we thank you for your grace that is enough to sustain us. Lord, I just pray for those that are not able to be here today, whether it's because of sickness or traveling or being with family, visiting loved ones, whether it's just continuing to stay in their own spaces in this season. Lord, we pray that you would show up for them in a very real way, wherever they may be this morning. Lord, for those that are sick, we pray for their healing. We pray for a healing touch from you, Lord. For those who are hurting, we pray for a spiritual touch, for a spiritual healing. Lord, we pray for those who are in this space but need a touch from you this morning. God, we all need a touch from you this morning. Lord, would you meet us here? Would you speak to us? Would you encourage us? Touch us in a way that would revitalize us, empower us, and encourage us. Lord, would you continue to help us to be the community that you've called us to be? Lord, as we seek to come together as a church, as, as a local body in this city, Lord, would you just reveal to us who you are calling us, Belleville First Church of the Nazarene, to be? Would you show us so clearly, Lord, how you want to use us in this place Help us to be intentional with our ministry. Continue to reveal that to us, Lord, as we seek your guidance. Lord, we thank you for being a God who hears us, who listens to us, who hears the cries on our heart. And Lord, it's in, in your name that we bring all these things and more. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning, if you would turn to John chapter 20, we are beginning a new series today, and this series is going to be called Surprised by Jesus. So one of the things that I particularly love about the liturgical Christian calendar, however you want to call it, I love the rhythms of the liturgical calendar, and I particularly love this this season that comes after Easter called Easter Tide. And, and I discovered kind of the beauty of this season a few years ago, where in this season, we are, are encouraged to continue to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And we are encouraged to continue to lean into the ways in which Jesus is still showing up for us every day. And so it's in the Easter Tide season that we go back to Scripture and we look at the places in which Jesus shows up and ministers to his disciples after his resurrection, but before his ascension. This is the season called Easter Tide. And so for the next several weeks, we are going to look at different moments in scripture where Jesus appears suddenly, in, in many cases, to the disciples and speaks to them in, in maybe surprising ways. 
And my hope and my prayer is that he would continue to show up and speak to us in surprising ways. And so last week um, on Easter Sunday, we read the text in John chapter 20, reading through verse 23, and that was actually the first appearance that Jesus makes to the disciples after the resurrection. So, so you have Mary who goes to the tomb to see Jesus' body, and she discovers that it's not there, and then of course he appears to Mary, and he tells her to go tell the others that he is risen, that he is alive, and so she does. She goes and she runs and tells the disciples but they're kind of left grappling with this throughout the day, that resurrection day. And then Jesus shows up to them later that evening. And so that was kind of the first appearance that we already looked at on Easter Sunday because there was a particular message there for us on this particular Easter. And so this week's passage actually picks up right after the, uh, the text that we read last week. So right where it left off, we're going to pick up this week, and it's actually one week later. So kind of like we are here one week after Easter, well, this passage takes place one week after the resurrection. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but last week in that passage that we read, when Jesus shows up to the disciples, there was actually a disciple missing, Did you know that? Did you know that when Jesus makes that first appearance to his disciples, that there is a disciple that wasn't there to see the resurrection? It was Thomas. And so today we're going to read the story of Thomas. So I want to invite you to stand in honor of God's reading the word for his people in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. John says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hands and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thank you, God. You may be seated. So it's after this passage that Thomas is kind of stuck with this great nickname, Doubting Thomas. Have you heard that before, that that's kind of the nickname that Thomas is stuck with? Not because of, not that that's indicated in Scripture, but we, we tend to make nicknames for the disciples sometimes. Peter was known for always sticking his foot in his mouth. Uh, he, he, he's nicknamed for that. And, and so Thomas is kind of dubbed with this, in my opinion, unfair nickname, Doubting Thomas. He is known for his doubt in this moment. It's pretty obvious why he receives that nickname, because 
He has just returned, and the disciples tell him on the day of the resurrection, they say, oh, Thomas, we've just seen the resurrected Lord. Jesus was just here with us. And and we just have to put ourselves in Thomas's shoes, and, and he says, no, no, that can't be true. I don't believe that. I won't believe that until I see that for myself. I would imagine there's a mixture of hurt and confusion, feeling overwhelmed, unsure. And so he responds with this straight-up doubt. I mean, there's no denying it. He is, he is not believing what the disciples are telling him. And so he gets stuck with this nickname, Doubting Thomas. And I kind of think that it's, it's a little unfair that Thomas gets thrown under the bus and is called Doubting Thomas when I really feel like he was just saying what most people would have been thinking. I feel like it was just in his honesty that he says what most people struggle with. No, I, I don't believe that. I don't, I don't just accept that. I'm having a hard time believing that. I, I kind of doubt that. You see, I think that Thomas gets thrown under the bus because there were others that struggled with doubt. There were others who struggled to understand what was happening. In fact, in, in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 28, I'm skipping ahead here for just a moment, but right before Jesus ascends into heaven, Matthew uh, records that they worshipped him, that the people there worshipped him, but some doubted. There was more than just Thomas there. So others doubted too, and I would argue that Thomas was not alone. In fact, I would argue that today, Thomas is not alone. That there are people who really struggle with doubt, and doubting what the Lord has done, doubting what he's capable of doing, and just having a hard time believing what is in Scripture, believing the things that you and I believe. I feel like people really have thoughts like, I doubt that God actually hears my prayers because my life doesn't really reflect that God has heard and listened to my prayers. I would imagine that there are people who would say things like, I doubt that God can forgive a person like me. You preach about this forgiveness, and I doubt that that's enough for me because you don't know where I've been and what I've done. I doubt that he can do that and that he would do that. I think there are people who think things like, I I seriously doubt that a relationship with this Jesus that I can't see or touch or feel or tangibly uh, talk to, I doubt that that relationship could actually change the course of my life and change the direction of my life and change my life today. I think there are some that struggle with doubt because who they see in some Christians doesn't reflect the Jesus they read about in Scripture, and so they struggle with, well, what is it? Who is this Jesus? What am I to believe about him? And I think for many, it's just easier to raise valid questions than it is to believe what might seem impossible. In fact, that reminds me of Lee Strobel. Many of you have probably heard of Lee Strobel, who was once an atheist and now is a believing Christian, but he says in his book, Case for Christ, he says these words, to be honest, I didn't want to believe that Christianity could radically transform someone's character and values. It was much easier to raise doubts and manufacture outrageous objections than to consider the possibility that God actually could trigger a revolutionary turnaround in such a depraved and degenerate life. 
for some, it's just easier to raise the questions and objections to believe that God could actually change the, the, the life of a depraved individual. And I'm a pastor, okay? And so I'm not up here trying to give you solid, valid reasons to raise doubts. I'm not trying to give you ideas of what you should, should doubt or, or kind of give you uh, some, something that you can lean on in your doubt. But I just want to help us to pause for a moment and recognize that what you and I believe is incredible. Do you realize that? What you and I believe about Jesus is incredible. No, really, it's incredible. It's not believable. It's hard for people to believe until they've experienced it. It's hard for them to believe and understand. So what about you? What about you this morning? Do you wrestle with believing some of the things you read in Scripture? This is a safe space for you to to say that you do. It should be, anyways. Do you struggle with doubt? And if so, what are you doubting? What is it that you struggle to believe and understand? Maybe, like Thomas, some of you are demanding for a sign or demanding to see something before you believe. Maybe for some, it's, it's, I'll believe when. I will believe when I see this. I will believe when I see that. What is your criteria for belief? See, I think we can either criticize Thomas and his doubtfulness, or we can confess that we too struggle. We struggle with doubt. We're skeptical. We struggle to believe. We wrestle Or we know someone who does. See, I'm doing that to you again this week. If it's not you, someone you know is struggling this morning. You need to understand that. Some of you are like, Pastor, I appreciate what you're saying, but I don't struggle to believe. And I'll confess I'm one of those people that there's, I'm not saying I don't have questions, but I don't wrestle with with doubt and and that that separates me from, from believing who Jesus is and what he's done for me. But I know people who wrestle with doubt. So what am I to do? And here's what I think happened with Thomas. Put yourself in Thomas's shoes for a moment. Here's what I think happened. I think that that when you rewind to one week ago, the day of the resurrection, before Jesus has appeared to the disciples, Thomas, he is facing his worst fears. And his worst fears have just been confirmed because all along Jesus has been talking about What's going to happen? He's been pointing them to the cross, and he's been preparing them, and some of this doesn't sound good. And then he says mysterious things like, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I'll come back and get you, and you know where I'm going. And remember, Thomas is the guy who in John chapter 14 said, wait, wait, wait a minute. Lord, we don't know where you're going. We actually have no idea what you're talking about. How can we know the way? I paraphrase that a little bit. But he says, how can we know the way? And so I wonder if Thomas has always been someone who's been afraid of losing Jesus. I I think Thomas was always someone who may have been afraid of, of getting lost and actually not knowing the way to be where Jesus is. And I think that these last few days have confirmed his worst fears of losing Jesus. And I think that in the midst of these fears, which, by the way, the enemy loves your fear, the enemy loves your doubt, And I'll tell you that doubt is normal and that we all experience doubt in some way, but the enemy will use that as an opportunity to completely separate you from Jesus and seeing the work that he wants to do in your life. The enemy will strap you down with your doubt and your fear. 
That's his plan. That's his goal. And so I think that, that the enemy certainly uses that as a weapon and that Thomas in his fear is wandering around aimlessly wondering, what if, what if Jesus doesn't come back? What if we don't know the way to him? What if he really is gone forever? Because doubt can do that. Doubt can cause us to wander around aimlessly all while others are celebrating the resurrection of the risen Lord. All while others are in a room with Jesus, seeing him, celebrating him, worshiping him. Our doubt can cause us to be alone, wandering aimlessly, wondering, what if? Because speaking of wandering around aimlessly, have you ever wondered why Thomas wasn't there and I wrestle with that. That's something I want to know. Why wasn't Thomas there? Why couldn't Jesus have waited until he was there? Why, why wasn't Thomas there the first time? Where was he? And the truth is, we don't know. We don't really, we have su- suspicions. We can imagine where he may have been, but we don't really know. We can't say definitively where Thomas was, but it, it made me think about something. It made me think about the when we withdraw from the Christian fellowship, we can easily allow doubt to come in and separate us from our brothers and sisters. And we can allow doubt to separate us from seeing and experiencing the risen Lord because loneliness and our isolation, we can begin to let those doubts get out of control and that fear grow and get out of control. But when we're together, we celebrate the risen Lord. When we're together, we celebrate what God is doing, what the resurrected Jesus is doing, and how he's moving in our lives. And I understand we're in the midst of a pandemic, so this isn't shaming people for not being here at church. But how are you staying connected to the body? Because that's important. How are we staying connected to those who are not here, who may be struggling in their loneliness, in their isolation, And in this time, the enemy is feeding their doubts and their fear. How are we showing up for those people that are not able to be here with us? And let me remind you that we won't be in this pandemic forever. It will end. It will end. We keep saying that. It's got to end. It's going to end. We're going to keep saying that because it will. We won't be in this space forever. And so when it's safe to do so, we have to remember not to abandon the fellowship Because Jesus is there. It's not saying that he's not with us when we're alone. But together we celebrate what Jesus is doing. Together we remind each other of what Jesus is doing and what he wants to do and what he wants to teach us. And we are stronger and better when we are together. And it's just something I think about when I read this story. I also want to encourage us churchy folks that people need a safe space to share their doubts. People need a safe space to be able to say, here's what I'm wrestling with. Here's what I'm struggling with. And we ought to not reject them in their doubts and in their struggles and in their fears and what they're, what they're struggling to believe. We want to be a safe space for those. We don't want to isolate them. We don't want to say, well, you can only show up if you believe exactly what we believe. And if you are exactly where we are, that's, that's when you'll be welcome. Because that's just going to isolate them further and allow that doubt to grow, and then that will possibly confirm their worst fears, that we are not who we ought to be. We need to be a safe space for those who are struggling in their doubt. Because you see, Jesus was that safe space for Thomas. My favorite part of this whole story 
is noticing Jesus' response to Thomas. It's very similar to last week when Jesus showed up to the disciples' room. Jesus shows up and he doesn't condemn Thomas. He doesn't say, Thomas, come on, man, I told you. Remember those conversations we had? I gave you so many solid reasons to believe and trust me. How could you not trust me and believe? And Thomas, you're going to really discount the, the credibility of your friends, your closest friends who tell you that they've seen me? You're really going to, no, Jesus shows up meets Thomas in the middle of his doubt and his fear and his questioning and his wondering, and he says, Thomas, reach out to me. Here I am, Thomas, reach out to me. See my hand, see my side. Stop doubting and believe. Are you struggling today? I think Jesus would tell you, reach out. I'm right here. Reach out, I'm showing up for you. I don't condemn you in your doubts and your fears, but I am here. Reach out, stop doubting, and believe. And notice, too, that Jesus doesn't tell Thomas, okay, now that you believe and we're all on the same page, here's, what's to ex- here's what you can expect. Let me just go ahead and clarify the future for you so that you're not left in your wandering and your questioning again. He doesn't do that. We're not going to have all the answers. But we can know and trust that Jesus will continue to meet us right where we are over and over again, revealing himself to us in very real and tangible ways. And he says to Thomas, he says, you believe me because you have seen me, Thomas, but blessed are those, you and I, who believe but have not seen I like how scholar G. Campbell Morgan calls this Jesus' last beatitude, (laughs) that he kind of added this last beatitude, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Remember that word blessed means happy. Happy are those who believe because, friends, belief gives life. Belief in Jesus gives us life. Jesus is the safe space for us to sort out our doubts and our fears and our questionings and our wonderings. He can handle it. We're wrong if we think that Jesus can't handle our doubts. He is fully capable of handling you and your questions and your doubts and your fears. But I know that he will show up. He's going to show up and he's going to say, stop doubting and believe. I'm here. See, I'm here. And if you're not someone that's struggling with this doubt, how are you showing up for someone who is? How are you showing up for someone who's still longing to see Jesus? I I thought about how in 2019, I met a young lady who was a foreign exchange student from Berlin, Germany. And, and she was living with her host family in, in North Little Rock, Arkansas. And, and her host family um, didn't go to church, but, but this young lady started asking questions about God. Just out of the clear blue, she wasn't raised with any kind of, of religious background. 
Um, She had no reason to really ask these questions, but just out of nowhere, she started asking questions about God. Something made her think about God and and the church and Jesus and what's this all about. And so her host mom said, I guess I better take her to church. I don't know the answers to these questions, so I guess I better take her to a church so that she can find what she's looking for. And, And so the host mom wasn't attending church at the time, but she brought her to the church that she once attended, and that just so happened to be the church where I was pastoring in Arkansas. And so after church, I, I go back there to meet this family, and, and, and the host mom says, I want you to come and talk with my foreign exchange student. She has some questions. And I was like, sure, okay. And so we sat on the back pew, and whew, she had some hard questions. She threw, like, the hardball questions at me. She didn't, like, ask me any soft Christian-y questions. She threw, like, the hardest questions that we ask at me. And I thought, okay. First of all, I'm not going to be able to answer these questions fully. I'm thinking this in my mind, but I'm certainly not going to be able to give her what she needs in like five minutes at the end of a church service. So I asked her if she wanted to meet for coffee so we could talk about these questions. And so we did. We met for coffee, and that meeting for coffee turned into a weekly appointment where I met with this amazing young lady who just had so many questions. And the Lord was clearly, clearly at work in her life and in her heart, but she didn't know what to do with that. And she was not. She made it very clear that she was not ready to confess any of this. She was nowhere near ready to believe what I was telling her, but she questioned and she wondered and she wrestled with it. She, she didn't know what she thought about some of it, but I just kept meeting her week after week. And I would leave discouraged sometimes, I'm not going to lie. I would leave and I would just think, Lord, can't you just show up for her in a way that she will just know? Can't you just be there for her in a way that will just help her to know and believe right then and there? And I remember one night I dropped her off at home, and as I was driving home, I just prayed. I just said, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would meet her tonight. Just help her to to sense you in such a real way, however you need to do that. And I got a text from her the next morning, and she said, I don't know what happened last night, but I was laying down and going to sleep, and that's usually when my anxiety starts getting out of control, and I just felt so much peace. I just felt so much peace. I felt a peaceful presence and I thought, maybe that was Jesus. I don't know, but maybe that was Jesus. And I said, oh, I can tell you for sure that that was Jesus. And I can tell you that I prayed that he would do that for you, and he did. Praise God. Sometimes we just have to keep showing up for people who are struggling with their doubt because Jesus shows up for us in our doubt. And so we too should be that safe space for others who doubt. And so we get to the end of this chapter. You notice those last two verses that John includes in in, in chapter 20, and they're they're kind of odd. They don't seem to completely fit. You would think that, if anything, they would be at the end of the book, but they're just at the end of chapter 20. John says these peculiar things. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. We say, aw, man. But these are written that you may believe. Or some translations say continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. And I think John must have been very intentional. Even though scholars question whether that was way later that that came in. Like he added it a little bit later, but but I think that it connects so beautifully because even in our doubt, we can reach out to Jesus who stands in front of us and reveals himself to us 
in a way that only he can do. And, and we can reach out and he would say, stop doubting and believe because belief gives you life. Believing gives us life. Doubt will do its best to separate you from Jesus and keep you from seeing Jesus. And we will at times struggle with doubt, but belief gives us life. It reminds me in Mark chapter 9, when we read the story of the desperate father who just wants to see the healing of his child. And Jesus says, don't you believe? And his response is, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And it's as if this verse implies that belief and and unbelief can somehow coexist. That we can believe, but then struggle to really believe at times. But John reminds us at the end of this chapter that his gospel is a carefully constructed narrative of significant words and works of Jesus for the purpose of bringing about faith in Christ so that you and I can believe and have life. And how perfectly does that fit with John 3.16, that verse we've all had memorized our entire lives. That because of God's love for the world, that he, it was in that that he gave his son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not be separated, will not be abandoned, but will have abundant, eternal, full life. That is the heart of the gospel. And that's what John wants us to understand I have written these things down so that you may believe and have life. Belief gives us life. So what is it today that you're struggling to believe? How are you wrestling with doubt today? I'm going to invite the praise team to come, and we're going to prepare to sing this song in response But as they're coming, I just want to say that I find it really interesting that it's not recorded in John's gospel whether or not Thomas actually touches Jesus. Am I weird that I thought about that? I wondered, I thought, why why don't we know? We don't even know if he actually did touch Jesus. That's the very thing he demanded. He said, until I put my finger in his hand and in his side, I will not believe. And we don't know if he did that or not. And so we're just left to imagine, we're left to wonder, why? Why don't we know? John only records his proclamation, my Lord and my God. Perhaps just seeing Jesus was enough for Thomas. Maybe that's a reminder that that we don't have to lay out a list of demands that just seeing him will be enough. Maybe we just need to, instead of laying out demands, just look for Jesus. Just look for him, and he will show up. Maybe instead of actually touching Jesus, Thomas was led to let go of this previous idea he had of Jesus and instead embrace this new way of living, this new way of being present in and, and, and there in the midst of the resurrected Lord. But whether doesn't really matter. In the end, it's, it's not Thomas's doubt that ultimately matters, because we all have doubts, but we don't all believe. It was Thomas' belief that ultimately matters. I want to name him Believing Thomas. Other scholars said that. I didn't come up with that on my own. I love that, though. I want to call him Believing Thomas, because it's not his doubt that had the last word. It's his belief. What's keeping you from believing today? And if it's not you, then I want to ask, are you willing to do the hard work of continually showing up 
for someone who is yet to believe? So my time with this young lady from Germany, it was abruptly cut short because of COVID. And so she ended up having to get on a plane and go back home. And I will never forget where I was when I read that text and I was so angry. And I thought, Lord, I was so looking forward to those next few months I was going to have with her. I really believed that those next few months she would see and believe and that we would get there before she had to go back home. And I was so angry. In the midst of all that COVID was stealing, it stole this moment to maybe walk her over that line and say that prayer with her. And I was so angry. And then I received this mile-long text from her as she was on the plane going back home. And she said things like, quote, I discovered Jesus while I was in America, and I started to believe in God. She said, I felt Jesus every single day. He had my heart in his hands. And it reminded me that no matter where we are, Jesus will find a way to show up and be real to us. And we just have to be patient as other people get there. But when we keep reaching out, when we keep showing up, Jesus shows up. May the Lord help us to push to be a believing Thomas and to be that safe space for others in the midst of their doubt this morning. God, we thank you for the ways in which you are patient with us. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you have shown up for us at various moments in our lives and have, have spoken to us or give us, given us an overwhelming sense of your presence that brings peace and comfort. And it's just in those moments that we know, that we just know that it's you. Lord, we thank you that you meet us right where we are in the midst of our, our struggle to believe and to, to have that faith and to trust. But Lord, we, we know too that it's belief that gives us life. That believing and confessing in Jesus, that's what gives us life. And so, Lord, help us to, even in the midst of our doubt, help us to push through that doubt. Help us to reach out in desperation, to continue to seek your face, and to seek your realness in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And, Lord, we pray that in those moments that you would be so real and present that we would believe. And Lord, help us as we walk alongside those who have maybe not yet believed, who are still wrestling with, with what all this means. Lord, help us to, to love them and to keep showing up for them, to be Jesus to them. And we pray for those, Lord, who are struggling to believe or to make you Lord of their lives for whatever reason, Lord. God, the lesson here for us is to just keep showing up for those who are separated from you. Help us, Lord, to continue to reach out lovingly to those who are not walking with you. And help us to, 
to be a picture of what Jesus looks like. And Lord, we just thank you for your love for us that meets us where we are. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Help us, Lord. Amen.